Yeah. Thank you for doing well, we, this, was that enough? I didn't know if we were doing something else after we dabbed. Nah, nah, to... that was it. Okay, cool. That, that was it. That was it. people do different things. Nah, I know, I know, man. <laughs> but, but listen, man, the album was phenomenal. Thank you. I, I really mean that. It's on repeat at my house, man. Everything that you address in there, I was like, amen. If I, if, if I could give an air like button, I would. <laughs> so every, every track uh, on that, man. And so you, you addressed a lot. But can you tell me what, what inspired you to even do this album, even down to the title, the narrative? I just felt, I felt like for individuals like myself who've uh, struggled with identity affirmation within the church especially, uh, there wasn't much, there wasn't much storytelling that, that, bring, that, that gave us dignity. Right. And um, there are people who love black history, people who love to think consciously about blackness. We can't escape that we're black, right. everything around us tells us that we are and it's nothing to be ashamed about as well Absolutely. but then there's also this Christian identity that we have that we want to submit that to and, and how do we do that in a way that doesn't dehumanize us but actually accentuates the godness that is uh, the, the god likeness that is that um, that isn't the, the Imago Dei right and so right. as I just I looked around I listened to my, my previous albums and I just thought about just who I was, I just felt like, man, there needs to be more communication that celebrates African-American history, African diaspora, um, from a perspective that doesn't make it an idol, but still brings it great dignity. Absolutely. And that was the, uh, and so it just, the narrative, in a sense, was me trying to change the narrative. Uh, removing it from that it's a white man's religion, Christianity is a white man's religion, removing it, from blackness is everything but Christianity, and uh, it, is, it, it was just being able to take the stories of, of, of great heroes in the past, men, women and men, and saying like, God has been faithful to us through the joys, through the pains, through the hurts, through the, through the discoveries, through all those things, and we can write and celebrate about it. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that impacted me is that you're, you're showing us that both can be celebrated. Absolutely. My blackness and my faith, and they're not at odds. Absolutely. Uh, because it's, it, it tends to be kind of presented to us that, you know, once you trust Jesus, uh, then all of your, some of your, your cultural affinities mm -hmm. have to be thrown away. You did a great job of merging the two. Thank On you. the first track, uh, you talk about white supremacy. Mm -hmm. and, and I know you have the year 1619 up there, mm -hmm. which would kind of be the middle passage. Right. Uh, why do you think topics like white supremacy, white privilege, uh, white fragility, yeah. Um, why, why are things like that seem they seem topics like that seem to be taboo when it comes to uh, Christianity, especially yeah. if someone black or brown wants to actually confront and address it? Mainly because they come from academia and they be, they come from people who seem to be <laughs> who the church and evangelicalism has distrusted. So they don't trust liberal media, they don't trust liberal education. And so a lot of these terms and these concepts come from um, not always a secular humanist perspective, but definitely mostly from liberal thinking. Um, and that doesn't make it wicked, that doesn't make it bad, it just means that these people are the ones who have been thinking deeply about this. But if we're honest, the reality is, is the Bible talks about this. Like the Bible speaks to these things, it speaks to how do we leverage our power and, and um, our abilities and our privilege for the benefit of other people? 
Um, the, the faith is a communal thing, so it, it addresses privilege. It, it, uh, it addresses the idea of fragility, of, of not being able to deal with conflict and resolution, uh, not reconciling with your brother. Um, it deals with all of these things, and they're just people who took, who take biblical principles and values and put academic terms to it. And so when you really think about it, we can still talk about these things without having those terms, without having those labels to it. But I think it scares folks because anytime you're challenging um, the norm of the day, if I tell you that everything that you believed was wrong or everything you believed has some flaws to it, then you're, you're invading not only my intellectual space, you're invading my, my history. You're saying that I'm not, like everything about me is somewhat flawed. Like, you're, you're challenged a lot of the nuances that make me me, and that's not acceptable. Yeah, right. but it's interesting. I mean, if we talk about the idea of reconciliation, mm -hmm. right? For us to be reconciled to God, there was a sacrifice Absolutely. made by Christ. But then there's also an acknowledgement of sin Absolutely. Uh, that precedes salvation. Absolutely. So how, how can reconciliation be achieved without confrontation? It can't. <laughs> Absolutely it, can't. And, and it, it just baffles me. That, that's just flattery. Yeah. It's just like... <laughs> It's just you, that's, that's the thing, like a lot of us want that. We want, a lot of people want, they want reconciliation, they want it without truth telling, they want it without confidence. And you know, and that doesn't, you can't do that in any other area of life, right? So it's unacceptable. And, um, but on the other end, there has to be a desire for reconciliation, even for those people who are telling the truth. Because if we lose the, the, the compass of reconciliation, and all we want to do is just tell the truth about one another's sin, but that's just condemnation. You know what I mean? And that's not the goal of the gospel. You know what I mean? So, yeah. so, so there, essentially what you're saying is there has to be mutual sacrifice. Absolutely. Um, and Absolutely. we have to be willing to be uncomfortable. Absolutely. Um, the cross wasn't comfortable. Yeah. Uh, but it was necessary for redemption, so we should be Absolutely. Able, we should be willing, rather, to have these tough conversations. One and reconciliation means more than just getting together and having conversations Absolutely. and saying, oh, okay, I feel better because we've talked about this. Like, <laughs> no. It goes beyond. So repentance yeah. has to be, like, and, and it's not just personal repentance and acknowledgement that I had a wrong view and I've done wrong. Yeah. It's like, how have I benefited from all that is around me and now that I recognize that there's sinful structures and systems, how, do I, how can I go about doing my best to change right. all of this? Kind of like what Zacchaeus does once he realizes that he used the people right. and for, for ill-gotten gain. Yeah. So I'm going to go back and I'm going to give restitution to these people. One of the things you also address is cultural appropriation. Uh -huh. First explain that uh -huh. and kind of tell me how you have seen that play out cultural, in cultural sectors as well as evangelical space. Huh. Uh, one of my favorite movies in the world is Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing. Okay. And so... <laughs> Uh, a perfect picture of this is when uh, Spike Lee is in the restaurant. He's, he's the only black man who works in this restaurant with a bunch of Italian uh, brothers. Yeah. And uh, one of, the, one of the, uh, the individuals who works with him always says the word nigga. He's like, nigga this, nigga that, nigga this. And Spike Lee's disturbed. He's like, yo. He says, who's your favorite basketball player? He says, Magic Johnson. He's like, who's your favorite comedian? Eddie Murphy. Who's your favorite entertainer? He's like, Prince. He's like, yo. All your favorite people are niggas. He says, and it, and it, and it points his paper, but he, the dude's like, no, 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 they're not really, they're different. Like, they're different. <laughs> and so, and Spike Lee is like, no, they're not. Like, 
And this is the thing, what we've learned to do is to allow people to entertain us and to uh, shuck and jive, as they would say back in the day, but not see the, hu the whole humanity. And, but even what we would do for those who are exceptional, we need to do for the least of these, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. And so what we've seen and what I've seen in churches is you'll have people who want to plant or be in areas that are maybe diverse or even primarily minority um, dense areas and they'll, and they'll have me or many other people come in and they'll ask like, man, what can we do to get more diversity in our church? And usually they just want the answer that means appropriate. They want to appropriate a culture to drive these people in. So they want worship that is appeasing to these folks or, well, what if we play some hip hop or like, I think that'll get them in. The reality is you're not thinking about giving any kind of real equity to these folks. Yeah. Like giving them an, a pastoral position, Absolutely. an assistant pastor position, giving them leadership, putting them on payroll. You just want to do something culturally appropriate uh, to appropriate that you feel like will get them in, and that, that's kind of like what I'm. So it's like that ecclesiological tokenism. <laughs> Absolutely. We can black people and black and brown can MC. Absolutely. They can sing, <laughs> uh, but they're not represented on the the el executive level of the church. Absolutely. So you're not, they're not seen as elders or anything. Yeah, absolutely. You also represent, rep uh, I'm sorry, address mass incarceration. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Michelle Alexander wrote a book, the the New Jim Crow. There was a documentary that came out 13th mm -hmm. uh, that addressed this. Uh, do you see issues like this as ancillary mm -hmm. to the gospel, or if so, why why not? I don't think any, I think the gospel touches every area of life, but we're talking about, and this is what I, like, we're talking about what our eschatology, what we believe, um, why, when Jesus ascends to heaven, what does that mean for the kingdom on earth, right? That doesn't mean that the, I don't, I'm not a dominionist, and I don't believe that we're going to take over the world necessarily, but the job of the Christian is to labor uh, as if, you, on earth as if heaven, right? And so if that means we're going to address, so Jesus interrupts this, a stoning of a prostitute. And I think this is a very, very charitable picture or very, uh, it's, a, it's a, a wonderful picture of the type of justice that I think the church should be engaged in. He sees that there's systems that are benefiting the males, right? The males can sleep around, they can divorce, they can do whatever yeah. and get away with it. Right. But as soon as a woman is caught in adultery, we're gonna stone her, right? And the laws justify it, right? But Jesus steps in, he says, you without sin, please cast the first stone. So he's challenging this system, calling it an unjust system and says like, y'all need to do something about this system. Right. But not only that, he turns to the woman, he says, go and sin no more, That's right? So he's not just saying like, look, I recognize these systems. So it's, it's for us going to the, to, the, to, to the justice system saying, look, man, folks are being disproportionately arrested for drug crimes in our communities. Yeah. Like we got to do something about this. Oh yeah, by the way, bro, stop selling them. So these are the kind of things that we have to, these are the kind of things we got to start uh, wrestling with in our, yeah. in our and, and, and so that it makes it, it's definitely a variable of the gospel. Uh, I think oftentimes we've just made the gospel to be just our personal uh, interaction with God, but it has so many communal That's, implications. What I've seen is when, when we talk about this, in order for those that don't want to address the issue head on, mm. they accuse us of being proponents of a social gospel. Absolutely. And the reality is none of us are looking to get saved by engaging in these issues. We're saying that because we're saved, Absolutely. that we're called, because the Bible would oppose, the gospel Absolutely. opposes sexism. 
racism, ageism. And so we should uh, dive into that. Absolutely. Well, so racial issues have obviously been on full display with the, the countless shootings of unarmed uh, black black men. Donald Trump kind of kind of led with this idea of him being the law and order candidate. Mm -hmm. But when we look historically, we have seen that law and order has not been equitable or just mm -hmm. when, it, when it comes to black and brown people, mm -hmm. especially you mentioned kind of during, during that time, uh, some of the drug, the drug sentencing, yeah. which took a lot of, not that we're condoning what was done, Right. But kind of cocaine was seen as the white drug and crack was the black drug. Yeah. And two people were doing drugs, but one did more time than the other. Yeah. Typically, that was the black and the, the, the brown person. What Michael Eric Dyson kind of brings some of these things up in his book, Tears We Cannot Stop. Mm -hmm. And one of the things he addresses, uh, he, he terms, I, I wouldn't say he, he, he's the um, originator of this term, but he talks about white fragility. Uh -huh. Why do you think... And obviously, you don't speak for all black people. Uh, but why do you think, in terms of as a black person trying to address our white and uh, our white brothers and sisters, why do you why do you think there seems to be some fear about talking about these issues? Because I think it's, I think human beings just have the propensity to, to protect themselves. It's self-preservation, and I think. There are natural instincts that we have. We have sexual instincts. That means we have desires to just be known by people. We have desires to be intimate, not just like physically intimate, but like to be known. And then you have social instincts. We want to be a part of groups. We want to be. We want to feel um, belong, like we belong to something. And then you have self-preservation. Like, I, like it's the reason why I don't jump off a cliff, right? But there's, there's, there's. We can make that. We can meet every one of those idolatry, idolatrous ones outside of the paradigm of the gospel. And I think what happens is when you have a people who've built systems and structures that make them feel so much comfort, right? And then the moment you begin to say, like, there's something wrong with this, it's the gospel, man. Like, let's remove, let's remove race from it. Let's just say, man, when somebody's in sin and you tell them, let me let me let me let you know that you you've had a, 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 a improper economy on life for the last 20 something years you thought life was about you but ultimately life is about you and how you serve your the, the, the creator right? right and to sit there and say so you mean to tell me that it's not about my own selfish interest that I have to live for the benefit of other people and mainly have to live for the interest of God like that disturbs everything about you this is what Jesus did with the Pharisees the Pharisees had systems that they benefited from, Jesus came through and, and wrecked that. And to say that he wasn't political is a contradiction to every action that he, you know, he perpetuated, right? And so he just didn't call it, <laughs> he didn't call it activism. He just, he just lived out his faith. It was right. Christianity. <laughs> you yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so the same thing is when we address people about the systems and, and the, the supremacy of this, of this country. And it don't even have to be, you can go to other countries, you can go to other places and people deal with these things. Um, tribalism, you get caste systems. Um, you, go to these, you go to these people groups and you say, you know what, this is injustice. You're gonna get pushback because we benefit from this. And so of course there's gonna be a little fragility in dealing with it because their identity is built off of this. Their cultural identity is built off the fact that we celebrate the 4th of July because that represents freedom. But if we know Frederick Douglass, if we, if we check out what Frederick Douglass says, like what is, 
the 4th of July to a slave. The same constitution that talked about all men being created equal, while at the same time, you got slaves behind you who aren't equal, right? So you, you have to challenge the whole Kaepernick situation, right? Kaepernick takes, takes a knee during the, uh, the, the national anthem, and historically, it's been revealed that there was a third standard that was removed that was in opposition to slaves, right? Yeah. And so it's ingrained within our documents. It's ingrained within, within our constitution. It's ingrained within our history. And when you challenge that, you're not only just challenging, you're challenging people's identity. Yeah. And anytime you do that, you're gonna get pushed back. Would you say uh, another thing Dr. Dyson addresses in his book is that really what many are trying to call patriotism is really nationalism. Absolutely. And this nationalism has actually eclipsed the gospel. Oh, absolutely. Because when you begin to confront and say, hold up, there, there was this third stanza yeah. that was a proponent of slavery. Many of these quote unquote theological juggernauts either owned slaves or were in favor of slavery. Uh -huh. Some of the well-known Presbyterians, yeah. uh, Dabney, Howard Dabney <laughs> spoke, spoke very, uh -huh. uh, very boldly in yeah. favor of slavery and the inferiority of black people. Yep. So it's like, we, we can't, if we can't address this, then we, we, we can't. You gotta, yeah, you teach a robust history. Just yeah. people are, are there's, no perf there's, there's no perfect heroes, no perfect villains. Yeah, no one race or culture has a monopoly on depravity. So there you go. So what I'm saying <laughs> yeah. is, is how do you begin to teach people for who they are? Like, look, hey, you know what? That boy Calvin Show knew how to X, Y, and Z, but you know what? He was also, uh, he also watched men get burnt at a stake because they disagreed with his the theological you know, beliefs. Um, George Woodfield, man, led great revivals, but he also was a huge proponent of slavery yeah. in Georgia when Georgia was supposed to be an altruistic state. So it's like, and yeah. And then you also have the complexities of individuals like Phyllis Wheatley who thought they were great, that they were heroic. So it's like, like wow, like what do we do with that complexity? What, what, that's, I mean, that's, that's trauma that could be psychological brainwashing. It's all, but that's what I'm saying, like people are much more complex than we like to think. But, but that, that's a great segue to my next question because my question to you was while you're addressing and speaking boldly and i would say prophetically mm. i think this album is prophetic in many ways and yeah. i mean that have you experienced pushback from some black people who would say hey show i think you're going about it the wrong way similar in which what they told oh, no. but they never provided whatever that alternative way was yeah no. maybe like, you know, you should. that means that the, the other way is don't do it yeah. that's what they want <laughs> just, just be that's quiet it, that's what it means oh my gosh nah i honestly man no i don't think i've i haven't got i mean i got people who just don't like the album um but why you know, you know what's and funny. I get, I get music taste, but I, but I'm saying, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm I, asking if they're pushback on the content. Yeah, I don't. I, I can't. I'm sure there. I just can't think of them right okay. now. I can't think well, of them right one now. One of the things. One of the things. I I, uh, I did a video called "When Diversity Hurts," uh -huh. and for the most part, it was it was positive feedback. I'm bringing this up, but th but there were some blacks who 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 didn't want me to address. <laughs> white privilege, white supremacy, yeah. culture appropriation head on, right? Yeah. And so uh, my question, uh, and, and typically uh, many of them when I have these conversations, they have been, I don't want to say tainted, because mm -hmm. um, I don't think everything, all of the information is bad, but heavily influenced by either predominantly white seminaries yeah. or white theologians. And they know more about that than they do their own history. 
That is their history. Um, yeah. Well, <laughs> that's, what that, they, that's what they've embraced. Yeah, right. That's what but it have is. you seen that to where th- there's this almost this kind of 180 where, uh, for lack of a better way of saying it, they turn their back on their own for the acceptance of majority culture? Oh, and absolutely. So why? why? Why do you think that is? Absolutely. It's, it's for a seat at the table. Now, I mean, I, I admit I, that was me for many years. Um, when I first got into the Christian hip-hop game, um, it wasn't my intention to avoid and alienate myself from the communities. And I went to an HBCU, I went to a historically black college and university. Um, end up going, end up being a uh, Christian rapper and all my music seemed to, to be, or better yet, I, I would say that when we began to tour heavily, Though there were black people and brown people in the crowd, I felt like the majority of the people were white. And then what happens is, is you start to see that with these platforms, or with the with this music comes platforms, right? And the more you <laughs> you speak to that market, the bigger the platform gets. But then at some point, you find yourself climbing a ladder on the wrong wall. <laughs> you saying you just like, yeah. did I really want to get here? Because you realize that it's it's a very difficult community to live in. It's like gentrification. It's like, yeah, black folks struggle, or better yet, it's like black flight. Black people had the opportunity once integration came through to move out of the hood so that they were segregated to. But when they tried to move into the suburbs, they realized, well, they don't really want me here either, right? And it's difficult to live here because culturally there's just so much clashing that's happening. And I'm not saying everybody who lived around you didn't want you there, but there were definitely some people who don't want you there. But then there's other people who they're ignorant, and I say that ignorant like in the true sense of it, like they just don't know how to interact and engage with you yeah. because you're different. And then there's some who aren't willing to, uh, to extend any kind of charitable social interaction with you because it's just like, you know what, I'm comfortable, and if you want to integrate yourself into our world, then you're going to have to assimilate. And this is what I see with a lot of church planners, I see a lot of pastors, and a lot of, so to the to example, this is how um, diversity can hurt. Uh, and in a sense that, well, I go to, I've been to seminary, I've been in a lot of black churches, black churches who are led, but churches that are led by black people, but those black men are usually, they come up in white context. When they preach, all they do is reference white men and women. They never reference great black or uh, women, uh, theologian. Uh, they don't you really don't hear reference. About Taylor, you don't. Bailey. You definitely ain't hear about no Gardner yeah. Taylor, E.D.K. Bailey. Uh, you don't hear about nobody. You don't hear about the A.M.E. churches and their movement. You don't hear about the great poets. You don't hear about. You don't even hear about some of the great black struggles. And this is the thing. Even in contemporary times, sometimes you don't even address issues that are pertaining to black people. Now, this is what I will say, though. I will say that though black people have had shared experiences within America, we are different. We are, we are not monolithic and every black person is Absolutely. not the same. Absolutely. And so I don't have quarrels with individuals who don't think like me and who have a different experience and upbringing from me. And so therefore they don't share the same sentiment as me. Like they don't have the same political views as me. And I don't remove their blackness because they do. You know what I'm saying? Like they just have a different experience and that's cool and we can agree to disagree on some things. But at the end of the day, it's not a race thing for you to, you don't have to be a race or a color to understand oppression and injustice. Yeah. Um, it's but, it, but it seems like even, like you, you mentioned, we mentioned some, you know, Gardner Taylor, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, Tom Skinner, E.B. Mm-hmm. Hill, all, all these other people we could mention. But, but even when you talk about the Protestant Reformation, yeah. 
There was a Reformation a thousand years before mm-hmm. at the Council of Nicaea, which mm-hmm. was led by a man known as the Black Dwarf. Yeah. Uh, Athanasius, mm-hmm. uh, an African man. Right. And you talk about Tertullian, mm-hmm. African man. Cyprian, mm-hmm. African man. Origin, African man. There's some debate on whether Origin was, was well, black. <laughs> but, Af- but I rock with all Af- the other folks. Yeah, but, but <laughs> I'm talking about African, though. Yeah. Uh, yeah you know, Af- even Augustine, yeah. African. Mm-hmm. You know, his mom was from Berber. Uh-huh. Dark skinned people. Yeah. We know that. Yep. We know that historically. Yep. So, what I'm seeing, though, is the white theologians try to make Northern Africa. Oh, absolutely. Southern Europe. And then, <laughs> e- 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 <laughs> but this is the know? funny thing. It's not even that, even if they try to. They, the fact that they say North Africa in itself has some. It's a that's, subtle, yeah, it's a subtle, like, white Anything of significance. Right. We couldn't have had anything to but do with it. But we also omit the history of Ethiopia and, well, even, and yeah, Nubia. The, the right. Ethiopian eunuch right. is said to be, you know, credited with founding a Coptic church that still exists today. Right. And my, but my thing is, people that look like us go into these white circles and they don't know that. Right. Or they don't care to know. And then they're. And they're, part of that, and, and then that turns into self hatred. Mm-hmm. And that self hatred seems to be affirmed in some of those circles rather than yeah, them I will say this I don't think they know that it's I don't think people are knowing that they're affirming self-hatred it's yeah. just that if you if, if all if I grew up if I'm an African-American and I grew up only knowing African-American history and a white man or a white child or a white individual comes into my context and everything I reference is African-American then that sh- he's just integrated into my context and so eventually what that white man is going to do is he's going to probably begin to affirm all of the things that he learned from me and begin to omit his history, right? Now, if he has any, if, if, if there was a, a if, what that, what he probably should do is say, man, I appreciate all that I'm learning from show, but maybe I should also learn Irish history, right? Just so I can understand where I come from and who I understand. Um, but then there's probably that he grows very content in being within the context and therefore he doesn't even care to know his history. And obviously this is a very yeah. interesting analogy. I mean, yeah. So what happens is, is, but the problem is, is black folks, we don't have the privilege to j- exist in a world, right? Um, and like whiteness is all around us, right? So it's, it's impossible to exist in America and not have some sort of connection and understand what whiteness looks like. Right. You could exist in many parts of this country and not know anything about blackness. And that's the shame. And so what could be, what, what can sometimes be called self-hate is just normalizing whiteness. And so I, I, I would challenge, yeah, so to your point, I agree. So I'm not disagreeing with you, but what I would just say is, man, what we do need is for brothers like myself, you, and other, vote, other individuals who are passionate about this is to almost to overdo the communication of the need and the necessity of affirming the image of God in people of right. color. Right, and, and, and I'm saying that's what I'm saying the void is. When uh-huh. you say that brother may be given an option of, hey, let me learn about Irish or whatever, I'm saying when many, not all, mm-hmm. I'm not trying to stigmatize all, but I'm saying when many go in predominantly white circles, they, they don't know about us because they have chosen not to. Yeah, I mean these these guys are brilliant. So they, mm-hmm. they they know they know the creeds. They memorize the creed. They know these things. I but think when, some of them when know. When it comes to when it comes, now I'm, I'm talking about the ones, uh, in, the one that's kind of discipling the young black man or woman. I would From say majority, I, I think you're again, giving I'm a little. No, all. I think you're giving them a little too much credit because I think some of them don't know. No, what I think some. What I'm saying they know aspects of people that look like them, but they're not being intentional to know about people that don't look like them. 
And I'm saying right, because right, right. we don't have that option. Yeah. I, but I, I know, yeah, I know, right. I know a little bit because it's presented. Because, uh, uh, last thing for Dr. Dyson in his book is he, he talks about, he, he gives a story about Michael Jordan. I won't go into it. Um, but a speech he gave at UNC, and Jordan didn't want to give to the Black Student Alliance. Mm-hmm. And because he felt like that was limiting. But given to everyone else, he saw as normal. And, and Dr. Dyson said this, it's interesting that the most famous graduate of that school sees black as limited and white as universal. Mm-hmm. And he said that that's what he was saying in that moment. Yeah, absolutely. That, that white is universal and black is limiting. So yeah. I don't want to give to the black student alliance, yeah. but I'll give to, and they may not even get it now, yeah. <laughs> whatever mm-hmm. he was giving to the school. Yeah. And I'm saying when, if a black person or brown embraces that, mm-hmm. They're actually hurting the rest of us. They may not see it that way. Oh, absolutely. But but there's some collateral damage to the person who says, "I'm just going to seek. I'm going. I'm going to allow myself to be a token. Yeah. I'm going to allow myself to culture assimilate. I'm going to totally remove my family to where we don't even know any anything about our history. But then they're going to be critical, without knowing. Like I said, so many many of these church fathers were African men. Mm-hmm. I just think it does some does some damage. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Last thing, man, is uh, the conscious community uh, is extremely critical of, of the church. Mm-hmm. And I think your album did a, fan, a brilliant job of mixing the two that, mm-hmm. uh, in fact, I would say you would, uh, I'm sure you'll tell me if you disagree, but I think you, you, can't, be Christ, you can't be Christian and then not be conscious. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're a Christian, you, you should care. And, you Absolutely. Know, we, the urban term is woke, which means to be socially conscious. Mm-hmm. So. You know, have you seen uh, with this album any responses from those in the uh, in the conscious community? If so, what's oh, the yeah. response been? Yeah, it's been it's been very. I'm not gonna overplay it. Like it's they kicking down my door, but <laughs> yeah, it's definitely afforded me opportunities to speak. At like this is the most I've been in environments that are not just Christian environments. Yeah, whether it be speaking at schools, universities. Uh, I've been able to speak at numerous amounts of university and school, not numerous, but a lot yeah. of school. Uh, is that the same thing, numerous and a lot? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's all good. We but I've, I've spoken at different universities. I've spoken uh, different, uh, uh, you know, high schools. I've asked to be a part of panels with some significant individuals. And what I think that means is that people have begun, begun to, like, hear my music and not just see it as someone who's trying to proselytize them, but see it as an individual who's bringing his ideologies to the table as a way to reason. And before, I think oftentimes, and this is what I've heard, is like people felt like Christian music was used to proselytize folks. And they said, this is the first time I've heard Christian music without feeling like I was being indoctrinated, but it was more of a Christian consciousness. And, uh, and I'm cool with that. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm less ashamed of, of the saving faith of Jesus Christ. Absolutely. That doesn't mean that I'm trying to re- pull any kind of trickery. It just means that I am being more philosophical with how yeah. I address issues. And I think that when you get me there, I'm going to give you my philosophies. I'm going to give you my principles and my ideologies. And they're all going to be biblically based. And I'm going to tell you the foundation of them. But um, uh, it's also more than just... Uh, a personal relationship with Jesus that I feel the gospel does. The gospel not only restores our image of uh, our, our, our relationship with God as image bearers, it also restores our image with one another. But as we had a cultural, I mean, uh, we has the, the great mandate in uh, Genesis 1, 26 and 28, that means we were called 
to be cultivators and creators, right? And so that means if we're sin sinners, if, if sin corrupts our image bearing, that means it corrupts our creation, right? And how we create. And so I believe that not only is God calling to restore our relationship with him and our relationship with one another, but he's also calling us to restore how we create and cultivate. And so I think what people are seeing is how I'm addressing these issues from a, a, a more robust perspective. And I think that's what the gospel is. That's what the gospel does. And so that's, that's, that's some of the, uh, the affirmation that I've gotten. And I'm excited. I'm excited about it. Yeah. Well, brother, thank you so much. Fantastic. Thank job. you, brother. And any, you know, if you haven't got the album, make sure you cop the album, the narrative. Brilliant. Every song is great from top to bottom. Any writing coming up? Anything writing, man? Uh, I'm going to try to. I'm going to try to. Yeah, right. I'm definitely trying to write more and to, to do just some, some creative communication, I guess you can say. Yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of that, uh, show will be one of the featured speakers at this year's Frequency Conference. So looking forward to hearing your voice beyond, you, uh, beyond just, uh, just rapping and, and poetry, but even just uh, the mind that God has given you. So uh, thank, I thank you. you again. You've been on The Urban Perspective right here. Everything with society, culture, and theology. We'll see you next time.